0: We take our first look at science education itself. We talk to a local science teacher to understand why language and words are an issue. Our expert science teacher has written a major dictionary and he'll be telling us why words are so important. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who for some reason or another find themselves working Researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Here's a question What colour is lime water? Here's another What is measured in bars? These two questions ought to prick your ears. They both use the language of science. The language of science is, oddly enough, called jargon. And we'll hear from an experienced science teacher on how to help the school students that struggle with the words of science. Anyone learning science, school students especially, words prove something of a barrier to understanding. What colour is lime water? It's colourless. What is measured in bars? Pressure is measured in bars. What is the main food of a crabby to seal? Answer. A crabby to seal eats little shrimp things called krill. It doesn't eat crabs. As you can hear, science has borrowed everyday words like lime and given it a new meaning. And although these questions are pretty ordinary in the eyes of science, you'd have spotted how they do confuse. This idea about words in science reminded me of a time when I taught chemistry to a group of 15-year-olds. The lesson was about how sulphuric acid is made in industry, and I showed the class a film. A film always came with the promise of a quiz afterwards. The film, by the way, was a, a mildly funny one narrated by John Cleese, and it told the story of making sulfuric acid, and it told it in a sort of Sherlock Holmes detective way. The video which appears today on YouTube, converted from 16mm, was called The Case of the Sulfuric Acid Plant. After the class saw the film, I asked in my quiz, where does sulfuric acid come from? And a student wrote, it comes from a plant. Again, you can see how language adds trickiness to what are often quite easy to understand ideas. And in search of an expert, I found Dr William Hurst, who has spent a lifetime teaching science in schools around Cambridge. So, what's the problem with kids learning
1: science? The big problem, which I see is bigger, is the language of science. Scientists need to be able to communicate rapidly, simply and specifically with each other, so they've got this language called jargon. Every teacher recognises that science does have a particular language, but it's the size of the problem that I see as being important. It's not a fact that there's one or two words they've got to learn, it's literally thousands of words.
0: You're saying that learning science is like learning a foreign language?
1: It is part of learning a foreign language, that you do need these words... But you need to explain what the words are. You can't just give them the word and they they know what it means. You've got to use games, you've got to use ideas, you've got to give explanations and keep coming back. So the kids have got familiarity with the words, just as in a foreign language they would learn familiarity with the vocabulary.
0: Now, has anyone done any work on finding out how many words you actually need to know to learn, say, French or science for that matter?
1: Well, there's, there's three bits of... Evidence One is that analysis of GCSE scripts at at, at the level show there are about a 1,000 words which are in the active vocabulary and about another 1,000 words that are passive. An analysis of Russian spoken in Moscow, how many words were needed to generally communicate, said about 2,000 words. And the German Vocabularist contains about 2,000 words as well. So to learn a foreign language, you need about 2,000 words in your vocabulary.
0: Well, and... What's your prescription then?
1: Well, it's more than a prescription. We have to first of all decide that science is a foreign language. And there again, you've got to look at the evidence. I've got, I've got word lists, which you've got about 3,500 words on. They've been put in front of tutors, trainees, teachers. And you may be able to remove about 20% of those words as being common knowledge or for whatever reason. But that still leaves about 3,000 words. Every teacher puts keywords on a board. They put about seven words a lesson. Well, that's 2,100 over a three year period. Mm-hmm. If you look in the language bank of books, mm-hmm. they've got anything up to 1,900, 2,000 words in the language bank, and they are not exhaustive. And I've written a dictionary which brought all these words together, there's 13,000 words in there. Well, if half of those are common knowledge, and half of them are never needed again, that still leaves you 3,500 words. So, my idea is that you need to learn about two and a half, three thousand words in three years at key stage three, to m- talk a foreign language, so she's French at GCSE, you need two thousand words. So you're learning words twice as fast in science as you are in French. And if you're not familiarising the kids with these words, they're not going to know what they mean. They're going to get lost. The, the analogy I use is somebody who really enjoys cooking mm-hmm. and they get excited because they've got three months in Rome learning how to cook and they get there and every lesson is in Italian and they don't learn one word, they don't understand a word of Italian after the first two weeks not understanding anything at all they're really not interested in Italian cooking anymore. Whereas if they were doing language at the same time and explaining what the language was then you'd be much more interested in the subject. So science is a foreign language and what we need to do without changing any scheme of work is to include activities which make the kids familiar with the language. And because it's a foreign language, they also need a dictionary in the room, just so they can look it up, find what the meaning is, put it down.
0: And if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that these kind of word games, words, exercises that a teacher might put on the board are bits of lessons, are they?
1: They're bits of lessons. They might only take two minutes. They might take five minutes. There might be a homework, which the kid does. In the lesson, you can have things like hangman, you can have card games, you can have little files... You can give them a crossword where you've given the words and they've got to put the clues in. You can give them a word search where the words are in, in cipher form. So instead of just putting the words down, just put numbers instead of letters in the clues. You can give them clues. The kids can do their own word searches, then write the clues for them. So dozens and dozens of games which can be used in the classroom, outside the classroom, group work, personal work.
0: Okay. Well, William, I've got here in this book, in my hand, this book of yours, and that is, it weighs a kilo, it's about 300, uh, 400-ish pages long. What was that about?
1: Having decided that science was a foreign language and needed a dictionary, I had a look around the standard publishers. I didn't like what I saw for use in a key stage three classroom. They were either too high level or they weren't easy to use, so I decided to write my own dictionary. Mm-hmm. So I went to all the Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 2 books I could find and went through them word by word, lifted all the words out. Some I discarded as being common knowledge or not of relevance and put them all into a dictionary because if they're in books, somebody, a kid is likely to come across it and therefore it has to go into a dictionary. And so I've got a dictionary which was based on all the ideas at Key Stage 3. It has been used at Key Stage 4 and even at Key Stage 5.
0: It's quite lucid. It's, it's not sort of turgid dictionary stuff here.
1: Well, I've been, I've been taught for lots of years kids want a one-sentence answer. Uh-huh. So what I tried to do was to take what was written in another dictionary, maybe in a paragraph, cut out everything and what does it actually mean and put it down into six, seven, eight words. The descriptions are straightforward. They're specific to Key Stage 3 because some words have got 18 different meanings of which only one is relevant to Key Stage 3. It's actually very readable. They've got a clear description, they've got a clear font. It's a usable book.
0: I think what you said was that knowing the jargon helps us economise on words.
1: Yes, and be specific. If you're asked to flambé something, grill something, you know specifically what's going to be needed.
0: Do you think that failing to learn the word is, is a failure to understand the idea?
1: You can understand the idea. But what the words try to do is to tie down that specific idea and and link it to other ideas. And therefore, within the word, you can have much more understanding of what's said. And therefore, what the words tend to do is crystallise a concept. Mm
0: -hmm. What is a concept?
1: A a concept is an idea. And you can have an idea without being able to put a word to it. A word not only gives you what the concept is, but gives you the surroundings around that concept. For example, the concept of a fruit or an apple. You you may have an idea of what a fruit is, but if somebody then talks about an apple as a word, you've now got not only apple, but you've got apple tree, how does it grow, apple apple pie, the flavour of the apple, is encompassed in that word. Mm-hmm. And, and the concept is something which is slightly more abstract than that.
0: Some years ago I asked uh, a biologist, why does a plant grow towards the light? And she answered that. She said... It's because of phototropism. Now, as far as she was concerned, that was as good an explanation as, as it needed. But some of us have done Latin. It's anyway.
1: Phototropism means it grows towards the light. We were just translating from one word to another. Mm. So if you knew what phototropism was, and the, f- the use of auxins and TCA, mm-hmm. then it would make sense to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If, on the other hand, why does a plant grow towards the light? In one context, in your junior school, for example you may say, in order to increase the ability to carry out photosynthesis or ability to see the sunlight. Mm-hmm. If you're in key stage three, you might start talking about, well, chemicals that are involved. And if you're in key stage four, you might introduce the word auxins. So it depends on what audience you're looking at as to what explanation you give and what their understanding of it is. If they know what the words mean, phototropism, and then they know that phototropism entails the release of auxins and the... the the response to plant hormones, it will make sense to them. But if they don't know what phototropism is, it won't make any sense at all.
0: Okay. Can you, for my curiosity, what's the mechanism of it growing towards the light?
1: You have grown. And the reason you've grown is a thing called growth hormone. If you've got growth hormone, you grow. And if you don't have growth hormone, you stop growing. Plants have got similar hormones and one of these is produced at the tip of the plant, of the growing plant. It's destroyed by sunlight, and therefore on the side which faces the sun, the growth hormone is broken down, it's stopped, and therefore that side doesn't grow. The other side has still got growth hormone, and therefore it continues to grow towards the light. When it's actually pointing towards the light, when you have now got a plant growing straight towards the light, the growth hormone on each side will be destroyed to the same extent. And therefore the growth on each side of the stem will be the same to each, each extent.
0: There's a point that often comes up in science that we use everyday words in a different context.
1: One of the additional problems is that and people are familiar with the word but it has a different meaning in science. If you, if you ask somebody to draw a table out would come four legs and a top. If you ask a scientist to draw a table out would come something where they can put data in. Everyday key, what you put in a door. A key... A method for finding out what insects are or what plants are so there's not only the specific words that only appear in science like ele- electrode or anode or electrons but there are also everyday words which change their meaning when they're in a specific content of science for example weight weight is a force and therefore should be measured in newtons and should only be used as a force on the other hand if you go buy your groceries you get some sugar you ask for a weight of two kilograms and to try to get people to change their minds that weight is a force in Newtons, kilograms is in mass, is slightly more difficult than introducing the idea that electrolysis is the movement of ions. So there, there is difficulty of new words, there is difficulty of new meanings.
0: That's a brilliant idea. I think actually trying to get people to think of weight not in grams when they're thinking already in pounds and ounces, we've <laughs> uh, got a long way to go. Thank you very much, William. In my hands, I'm holding Dr Hurst's book called William's Words in Science. It's a truly jargon-busting dictionary that explains all the words that students between the ages of around 10 and 14 are likely to meet, as well as more that they'll come across. Its dictionary definitions are lucid and pleasantly brief. For example, a clavicle is a collarbone that connects the ribs To your shoulder and so on. With his mission to do the job well, the author goes beyond the basic words to cover about 13,000 words and phrases. There are extras like stories of famous scientists and what they did, diagrams of the carbon cycle, which will be useful. There are detailed descriptions of key ideas like what is the pH scale and what is the rock cycle. There's lots here. Dr Hurst's dictionary called williams words runs to over 400 pages i think it's a solid wonderful reference book for students of this sort of age and at 14 pounds plus a five of a postage it not only looks like it feels like very good value you can find out more at www.williamswords.co.uk that's pretty much all for today's show Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website www.cambridge105.fm You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes Store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and... You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.